Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Claire. I am a registered nutritionist and I also, my background is also in exercise science, uh, but mostly I have PCOS too and I the reason I'm so passionate about this area is that I know how damn frustrating it is when you're dealing with all the symptoms that you are and when you just have no idea why your body is doing what it's doing. So this podcast is our Q&A mini pod where I answer your questions directly that you've posted to me in our Instagram stories. So today we're covering off two questions. Um, the first question is from Ashley. And Ashley was asking in relation to the podcast that I did earlier in the week with Professor Grant Schofield. So Grant and I got talking a lot about uh, exercise and endurance exercise because we both have a background in endurance exercise, both having been triathletes. Me, I was more a runner before I got into doing a bit of triathlon before I retired. Um, and both at quite an elite level. And both had issues with our insulin. So Ashley was asking, uh, what's your opinion for women with PCOS who are athletes with insulin resistance? I think this is a really good question because um, no one's really talking about this. If you, And the reason for this is because there's still this classic dogma in science and, and medicine that people that develop prediabetes and diabetes it's because you're not exercising enough and you're eating too much and too much crap food, which is so like that is just such a basic, basic understanding. There's so much more that goes into it than this. And to be fair, like when I was studying at university nutrition exercise science, uh, really the the message that we walked away with when it came to diabetes is that if you develop type two diabetes, it was kind of your own fault like you hadn't managed your lifestyle well and then I just as again I said I think that this is so some far too simplistic um, especially when someone can develop type 2 diabetes even when they are following all of the guidelines and that's because the guidelines just aren't built for them and their insulin resistance and their genetics and so what this comes down to is that we've got to be way better at um, not just saying, hey, this is the one diet for everybody and actually looking at you and what you've got going on and, you know, and then adapting that to suit you. So I actually, um, I laugh now when I look at my genetic profile and it just makes so much sense as to why I developed insulin resistance and why most of my the guys that I trained with, girls that I trained with, didn't, right? So we were, for me, it was, and I think for most people, endurance athletes developing insulin resistance and prediabetes, and I'm certainly not the only one. Um, you only have to Google and read a few Reddit threads to see there are hundreds of thousands of, of athletes who have developed insulin resistance. But it's just a classic example of, um, you know, just the your genetics just not working with your environment so for me uh, my life would look like I would get in the pool in the morning and straight out of the pool I would be chugging back 750 ml of sports drink and that was in order to allow me to train uh, five or six hours later where I'd be doing a one or two hour one to two hour bike or ride or run while I was doing that if my training was over sort of 45 minutes to an hour I would also be um, chucking back some more sports drink and probably some 
gels or other um, like gummy lollies or something gummy sweets on that to give me the carbohydrate that I needed to continue with that exercise otherwise you hit the wall after you know if you're just relying on carbohydrate for your exercise you hit the wall after about (laughs) 90 minutes um, if you haven't had anything to eat um, so for me that my, I was consuming an incredible amount of sugar in my week and this coupled with, um, my genes and, and I have pretty much all of the genes that you would, um, associate with, well, that we know from the science predisposes us to insulin resistance and, um, high, um, or easily gaining weight, easily gaining body fat. Um, so I can see there how I was very predisposed to that and just the environment wasn't working for me. Had I not been consuming that much sugar, probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. I probably wouldn't have developed um, the insulin resistance or it might have been later in my life that I did. But just because of that, just assaulting my body on a daily basis with all that sugar was a really real recipe for disaster. Whereas as I said, most of the um, guys and girls that I trained with, no issues, and they likely never would have any issues. So other um, people that have talked about this, so Peter Atia, who's a a physician doctor in the US, he talked about his, uh, how he developed pre-diabetes. So um, Peter, as well as being a physician, uh, was also an endurance athlete. So he was a long distance swimmer and cyclist. He would train three to four hours a day. Um, and he developed prediabetes while doing that as well. You can, if you search him, Peter Atia on TED Talks, you'll be able to listen to his um, really incredible TED Talk there. Um, and he is very open in just his, his genetic profile and, um, and how, you know, he was from a family of a lot of men who had all died of heart disease at an early age and in his words looked like doughboys when they did um, versus his wife who is from a you know her grandmother is in her 80s and she eats bread all day and doesn't put on an ounce and has always been 100 pounds her entire life has never changed and subsequently his wife is 120 pounds and has never changed weight her entire adult life and could eat a you know a bag of oreos every night and bread all day and nothing would change whereas peter's like i just sniff that bag of oreos and i'd put on you know 20 kilos and and um develop insulin resistance so it's all about you know and, and peter now is you know very um he's reversed that insulin resistance pre-diabetes he's very lean um but he is just under really working on understanding how to adapt his diet and exercise and stuff to actually work with his genetic profile rather than this um, letting this take over and this is the same with I mean you um, I also was reading something the other day about there was some research into Amish people and they have a lot of these same genes that predispose them to insulin resistance and high BMI but you very rarely see an an overweight or diabetic Amish person and the reason for that is they're you know out toiling in the fields for you know three hours a day um, and so their like just their lifestyle is working well with their genetic profile as opposed to mine, which was just not working with mine. Didn't mean that I needed to give up endurance, uh, being an endurance athlete. It just meant that I would have, you know, and, and I would have loved it going back in time. If someone could actually sit me down and say, right, 
This is what's actually going on. Instead of just putting me on a low calorie diet because I was gaining weight, even though I was training 20 hours a week and saying, oh, we just need to watch your calories, which was complete and utter bollocks in hindsight. If that dietitian actually would have sat down and been like, right, let's actually do some testing and figure out what's going on because this doesn't make sense. You know, you're training so much and you shouldn't be able to get enough calories in there to keep weight on. And instead you're putting weight on. Like this doesn't make sense at all. And done some done some investigation and figured out, oh wow, actually, yeah, your insulin's really not handling this. Okay, right, we're gonna have to really, really change what you're doing and, and what you're eating to work with your body, because at the moment it's certainly working against it, would have A, probably helped my uh, athletic performance and B, helped um, my long-term health as well. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. We didn't have all the tools that we do now um, and necessarily the knowledge. Um, So it's no fault of us during that time, but it's just that for you guys now, we have so much more understanding that we can help you with rather than suffering through like I did. So that is, there's, I mean, there's been other, um, other kind of high profile athletes that have developed insulin resistance and type two diabetes as well. Uh, there is a, um, so Tim Noakes, who's a South African researcher, um, who wrote the law of running. He, uh, announced in 2009 that he had also developed prediabetes and again was just like, oh, actually it was probably likely a lot due to eating a lot of high carbohydrate foods and just those not working with my genetic makeup. So does this mean you have to go and get a genetic testing done? No, it just needs, we just need to, often we can figure out what's going on from your symptoms and uh, maybe if you're having, you know, had some blood tests done. Um, But it's really just understanding what's going on now and your symptoms. So that's endurance sports and insulin resistance. The next question, and it was so funny because I got this almost written word for word from two of you, both Harriet and Mads, you both asked about disordered eating, eating disorders in PCOS. So I thought this was another, because two of you have answered this, asked this, I thought it would be really good to go into. And because again, I think it's something that's just not talked about enough. Um, So from... The research, we do know this is a big problem in PCOS. The stats that I've seen is that uh, women with PCOS, up to 20% have disordered eating. And the research that that comes from is from Lee et al. in 2017. The paper's called Increased Risk of Disordered Eating in Polycystic Ovary Syndrome. It's not the only paper, um, but it's just one that is... Uh, quite an interesting research that they did. So basically what they did is they took two groups of women, um, about 100, from memory, about 100 and 100 or 150 in each group. So one is those that had been uh, diagnosed with PCOS and others were women that hadn't been diagnosed with PCOS. And they um, filled, got them to fill out the questionnaires that are the scientifically valid questionnaires for um, disordered eating. What they found was that overall, um, women with PCOS were at an increased risk for abnormal um, or disordered eating patterns. And that was by about, so just to give you an example, I think the um, result was about 12% of women with PCOS had disordered eating patterns versus only like 3% of women without. Um, 
especially there was a, a big difference when it was related to um, questions around sh- body shape and weight concerns, um, body mass index, um, also elevated depression score. And then when they boiled it down to the different types of disordered eating patterns, so you have disordered eating patterns you probably know of, like anorexia or uh, bulimia, but also there's binge eating disorder, which is one that is not um, very well recognized as a disordered disordered eating, um, but it is very much a um, disordered eating pattern. So for example, the prevalence of um, in PCOS for say bulimia was about 6% versus binge eating disorder was um, almost up to 18%, right? So it is super, super common. So that means that pretty much one in five women that have PCOS also have you know, disordered eating patterns and, and often the most common one is binge eating disorder, which is just not talked about much at all. So I'd preface this next part with saying that I am by no means a expert in disordered eating. I did do my honours thesis in disordered eating in female athletes. So I spent a year researching this area, but specifically in female athletes, but I would still definitely not qualify, you know, consider myself an expert in this area at all, especially not in the treatment side. So um, you really have to, this is a specialist area and dietitians and nutritionists who are working in this area do have to do specialist training and um, to, yeah, to work with women and patients who have disordered eating. But binge eating disorder, for those of you that don't know what this is, it's um, sometimes known as compulsive overeating. So it is a serious eating disorder and it's not the same thing as just as overeating. Okay, and I think this is where um, it can get overlooked or people just think, oh, this is just you, you know, you overeating, which is, it's not that case at all. This this is a disordered eating profile. Um, it is diagnosed and defined as reoccurring episodes of eating significantly more food in a short period of time than most people would eat in similar circumstances. And it's usually, I think, the, the defining, one of the defining characteristics is that it is usually marked by feelings of loss of control, um, often with like compulsive or irresistible urges. Um, and, you know, some people can, um, you know, then also feel... Um, embarrassed or guilty or self-loathing or severe criticism even disgust sometimes it's done in secret often usually mostly it's done in secret and um and it becomes an a regular pattern so you know all of us um overeat on occasion um but it's not the same thing as um as this pattern of um binging and the feelings of complete being completely out of control and um and the following kind of self-loathing and stuff that goes with it it's also been really well recognized that a lot of people going through the cycle will often then restrict the next day to try and kind of counteract the binge from the prior day and this then results in a really vicious cycle of restricting and then binging and then restricting and then binging okay so this is why it's really really important to if you if you kind of recognize any of those symptoms, super important to get in in contact with um, a specialist who works in this area, because it is almost impossible to get out of this out of this pattern by yourself. 
Um, and I really, there are some amazing professionals out there who specialize in disordered eating, who have got the tools that they can help you through this. And that's a really important thing to do, um, at least alongside trying to address what's going on in your body. Um, and I would say for a lot of people, it might be very necessary to do this first, do this work first, because when we change anything about our diet, it might trigger some restricting um, feelings in you. And this is very individual. Like I've had um, women that I've worked with that we, I've had to refer them on immediately and said, actually, you're not, we need to um, help you with the binge eating first before we can really change anything about your diet. Whereas others I've had where they changing, especially getting, stopping them from getting on that sugar coaster. Because what I've seen in many women with PCOS, especially those with insulin issues as well, is that a get those hangry attacks can really be also a trigger for the binging as well. Because when you're really, your blood sugars drop that low, you are in an all-out frenzy to try and get food into you to get out of that state of feeling so weak and and I, I the reason I know this is because I can look back and notice this in myself. I definitely can look back at that pattern and go, yeah, I was definitely in a binging and restricting pattern. Uh, probably at the time, you know, maybe if I'd filled out that questionnaire, maybe I could have been diagnosed with that. I wasn't, but I definitely can recognize that pattern. And what triggered it a lot of the time was the severe sugar cravings and uh, feeling out of control around those, and also the um, the incredible hunger that came from a, a, a rapid drop in insulin and blood glucose that would lead to the hangry attacks and the complete feeling of con, uh, loss of control when I had to just eat anything around me to try and bring my blood glucose back up, right? Um, and so actually improving, if insulin is an issue for you, improving your blood glucose, getting that stable can really help as well because when you're not getting those really lows in blood sugar or you're not getting the really severe sugar cravings um, it really can help with that feeling of just not being so out of control so a, I don't have the answer to this about where you would sit I think it would really be understanding your um, you know for you if you recognize any of those behaviors certainly talking to someone who specializes in binge eating disorder would be the first place to start um, but have a listen as well to Amanda's podcast. She is podcast episode number four, the fourth uh, episode we ever recorded. And she had suffered from binge eating disorder as well, which was only obviously diagnosed quite late in her life. And she said it was a combination for her of eating so that her blood glucose was more stable. She wasn't getting those massive ups and downs and working with a specialist counselor who was who specialized in disordered eating. That was for her like super, super important. So yeah, if you want um, to go and listen to someone who's been through this and is probably suffering from a lot of the same things as many other women, then um, yeah, go and have a listen to Amanda's story. It's really inspiring and it also helps you see that, you know, if you're just suffering from, um, or anyone that's listening to this is suffering from feeling like the disordered eating or you've been diagnosed with a binge eating disorder or another eating disorder, then seeing other women that are talking about that can be super helpful. So that's podcast episode four. So that's all for today. Um, thanks so much for joining in. 
And thanks so much. I, I haven't really given a shout out to our protocolers before, but thanks so much to all the women in our PCOS protocol who are absolutely freaking killing it at the moment. I know that I've been talking about how this time is the best possible time to get on and start to understand our bodies because we have a bit more time and also we have a whole lot more, you know, we're cooking for ourselves, we're probably not commuting, so a bit more time for exercise and sleep. And you guys have just taken that um, on board and run with it and are absolutely nailing it. Like just more than any other time that I've seen, you are just excelling and asking incredible questions and joining us on the live calls and it's just really, really amazing to see. So thank you so much to all of our PCOS Protocol women. Love, love having you in there. And thank you for doing the work. So that's all for this week. Thanks to you guys as well for um, your questions. I'm really sorry we can't get to them all. But I'm sure that you understand that that is impossible. And we have to pick a few. Um, but we'll be back next week. So there'll be another chance and another full-length podcast. So thanks again. And we'll talk to you then. Bye. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.